welcome back and thank you to uh, all these new people that have been listening to uh, this podcast uh, really appreciate it please give me feedback let me know what sucks what's good is the volume good too low too loud <laughs> maybe my voice sucks i don't know but anyways thanks to the new listeners uh today is monday may 6th lot to go over uh, i haven't been on here for a couple weeks uh, which is definitely my fault i've been kind of slacking but i mean you know i'm just gonna jump right into what's going on right now uh we're gonna go over uh bar and contempt we're gonna go over what's going on with a couple uh well specifically biden uh he's kind of the the uh front runner right now in the uh presidential run for 2020 talk a little bit about socialism we're gonna talk about Putin, we're going to talk about North Korea, we're going to talk about Iran, China, and the trade talks, infrastructure, and this build-up for this uh, clash with Congress and the White House. So, a lot to go over, and I can't wait for you to listen to it all. But first, you know, the mandatories. Check me out on Instagram, uh, Politics and Bullshit Podcast on Instagram probably not accurate <laughs> i, I got to do better about keeping up with the politics on, on uh, the uh, the podcast on the instagram page uh yeah politics and bullshit pod on instagram of course music is made by man underscore delorean also on instagram man underscore delorean like the car go check them out and then um also on twitter if you uh tweet i love twitter it's pretty much where i get all my news uh my twitter handle on there is also i believe the same as my instagram page uh politics and bullshit podcast um so find me on there all right so first up bar in contempt what's going on with that uh so this is according to vox uh frustrated by weeks of missed subpoena deadlines and pushback from the trump administration the house judiciary committee will vote on a contempt resolution this wednesday after William Barr failed to deliver Mueller's complete unredacted report by a Monday deadline today. The contempt resolution would also have to be approved by the full House, which may have a shot at passing now that an increasing number of Democrats are focusing their ire on Barr. So there's a little uh, speculation about um, contempt, right? Um, Apparently, how it works is, at least from my understanding, uh, if the full House passes the contempt res- resolution, uh, Pelosi will issue the citation for Barr to be held in contempt. She'll pass that citation along to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia or the DOJ. Either the U.S. Attorney or the Department of Justice will likely say they don't plan to move forward with prosecuting Barr. So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, it doesn't necessarily end there. Uh, at that point, Congress can also take this further to, to the courts, right? Um, and this can go two different ways. I'm going to continue reading from Vox. Uh, so that itself is risky. If a judge rules against Congress and in favor of the Trump administration, it could set new legal precedent that could make it easier for future pre- presidential administrations to withhold information from future congressional committees. But if the court rules in Democrats' favor, it could strengthen the legal standing of Congress and could uh, compel the Trump administration to comply with the subpoenas with more serious consequences for non-compliant officials. For instance, a judge could hold administration officials in contempt of court rather than contempt of Congress. So this is the 
the the I guess the crisis we're heading in. It is now either going to be okay for future presidents, whether you're Democrat or Republican, to just ignore requests from Congress, thus uh, lessening congressional power uh, of oversight, you know, uh, a balance. That's the whole point of the system, right? Balance of powers. Uh, so that's most likely where it's going to head. Uh, apparently, they could do some strange thing where uh, there's like some old law written in like the 1800s or whatever that could actually circumvent uh, the, the, I guess, the courts and could actually directly jail someone. Um, it was used for moments like this where different various committees or even people within the White House just repeatedly denied offering reports or testimonies to Congress. So they could pull that out. And some people that are on the Judiciary Committee in the House have said, we're going to we're going to revive that law and we're going to do that. But either way, it's looking like we're going to head to some sort of court battle here, which I'm kind of curious to see how that'll go. Uh, a lot of judges most likely probably have like their own inherent bias towards like which which way they lean politically. However, this is a very serious question. It's literally a question of what the power of Congress is and then what that will do for future presidents. If and again, I always say everything's political and if one judge wants to play, you know, political theater, he could really or he or she could really mess up this kind of balance of power going forward. So this is kind of something that, I mean, even if you're like a, a total Trump supporter, and of course, you, you'd be really hard to, to kind of get rid of that inherent bias in yourself. But I, I'm sure you'd want the balance of powers to remain because all of a sudden here comes a Democrat president. And I don't know, maybe they do do something wrong. And then all of a sudden they can now get away with it because Trump got away with it. And that's just the way it's going to go until it goes back to the courts and it's a lengthy process. So, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what, you know, Republicans think about this. So moving on from that, I'll definitely keep you posted on, you know, what's going on with that. We'll find out, I guess, shortly uh, where that's heading. But anyways, uh, so a new Firehouse Strategies poll. Never heard of this poll, but hey, it's worth talking about. Uh, finds Joe Biden has boosted his early lead in the first three states to vote in the Democratic race for president. Biden's best state is South Carolina, where he has 48% support. He had 36% in February. Followed by Iowa with 35%. He had 25% in February. And New Hampshire at 34%, where he had 22% in February. Uh, this represents a double-digit boost in all three states over the past three months. Meanwhile, Senator Bernie Sanders in second in all three states in the low double digits. Pete Buttigieg, who was not included in the February survey, finished third in all three states with support ranging from 5% in South Carolina to 11% in Iowa. Elizabeth Warren comes in fourth and has not changed in her levels of support since February. Kamala Harris, on the other hand, had a steep drop since February and now comes in fifth place. Beto O'Rourke, Amy Klobuchar, and Cory Booker failed to break 5% in any of the three states. So Biden seems to be on a rise. Um, I have a feeling this is because of his more kind of, well, obviously his, his, uh, his history, his popularity, 
you know, he still has a lot of Obama voters. He's moderate. He has a lot of older people who kind of like him. Uh, and I would even say probably has a, a, a stronghold within probably college-educated white males. Uh, so I find this really interesting. I mean, all this can really change. I mean, this is just a current snapshot of what's going on right now. But he's looking like to be, you know, the, uh, at least for now, kind of like the winner, uh, at least for the primaries. But like I said, everything can change. Uh, going from there, I wanted to kind of briefly talk about, you know, because Bernie's kind of, uh, you know, still kind of second in overall popularity of all these candidates. Right now, the right is really kind of digging in in their, like, anti-socialism. And, you know, Bernie is a self-proclaimed socialist Democrat, which I think he's just saying to play safe. You know, he, he doesn't want to be full out socialist. Um, I wanted to read a little article um, in regards to socialism and some stats on that, which will definitely make Bernie's life either a little easier or potentially a little harder. Uh, so a new Monmouth poll, which they're pretty popular. Uh, Monmouth is, a, or maybe it's Monmouth. I don't know. Either way, uh, they've been around for a while. They have pretty legit polls. But anyways, uh, they find 57% of Americans say that socialism is not compatible with American values, while just 29% say it is compatible. And I quote also, from the same article, uh, key finding, 42% have a negative opinion of socialism in general, with another 45% having a neutral opinion and just 10% holding a positive view of socialism. Meanwhile, 39% of Americans have a positive opinion of capitalism. So capitalism seems to be <laughs> a lot more popular, it seems. And while 40% have a neutral opinion on capitalism, and another 17% hold a negative view of capitalism. So, so what is that? 42% have a negative opinion on socialism in general. So that would mean, what, 58% uh, have a positive view. So that's a pretty big number then, possibly, that have a more positive-leaning view on socialism. Of course... Socialism is such a bizarre topic in America. Uh, you know, we talk about universal health care. And like 10, 15 years ago, that would have been called socialism. And then nowadays, it's more kind of just common. It, it's just it's just common sense. Uh, that's just due to a lot of education, a lot of just pure frustration with how healthcare is in America and just how overpriced it is and how we spend more than any other nation and we get a lot less. So I think over time, people's opinions on certain aspects of what was considered socialism has changed. I don't view a, uh, you know, a public option as a socialism, even though it is a, you know, government ran program. Uh, I mean, we, we have government-run programs everywhere. I mean, Social Security is something we'll all get at some point. That's a government-run program. Uh, police are a government-run program. Our army is a government-run program. All the infrastructure we have, your roads, everything is a government-run program. Your educational system, for the most part, is a government-run program that's always getting cut. So it seems to me Americans have a problem with figuring out what is just a common dignified right to human life to have and then what is a 
kind of just a a, 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 a a privilege or a luxury, you know. Healthcare is no longer a luxury. It is a right. If you're dying because you don't have healthcare, that means your government has failed you, basically. So to me, what this article is saying is Bernie still has a chance to really kind of grasp a lot of voters. He's just going to have to basically explain to probably some educated and probably a lot of non-educated people in terms of uh, socialism and, and, and plans. I suspect a lot of people would benefit from some of these kind of quote-unquote socialist things. I know I personally would, uh, especially with Elizabeth Warren's plan for, uh, you know, canceling a lot of student debt. I mean, I don't have that much student debt, but I never finished college. I'm basically paying for something that I don't have. Uh, well, I'm not actually paying for it at all, because uh, if I did, I wouldn't be able to afford my apartment. But... um. But because of that, my, you know, credit score is down for no reason, basically, for no reason. Uh, you know, so I, I wouldn't mind a little help in that. And I'm sure a lot of people also feel that same way. So that's just like a little, you know, rant of my own personal life. So, yeah, that's a little catch up on Biden. So next up, I'm going to have a quick little chat about Putin and Russia. So while the United States, for whatever reason, you know, Maybe it's because Trump doesn't want to get mixed up with altercations with Putin. Maybe he feels indebted to him. I don't know. But uh, a quote uh, from Gerald Sieb. Uh, with relatively little investment, the Russian leader is expanding his toehold in, Western, in the Western Hemisphere and potentially getting access to giant oil and uranium supplies by backing a dictator in Venezuela. With relatively little investment, he has expanded his base of operations in the Middle East by propping up a dictator in Syria and by trying to send some sophisticated Russian military equipment into Turkey. For the latter effort, he'd actually turn a profit. He does all this while overseeing an economy roughly the size of South Korea's, which produces little or nothing the world wants to buy outside of oil and military gear. Uh, Russia is also a huge country that runs off of money laundering schemes around the world, too. And Russia is also a country where the oligarchy, specifically Putin himself, literally own the money that is made through the various, I guess, larger corporations within Russia. And if you try to overstep your boundaries with him, he puts you in jail, he takes over your company, that's it. I I hate sounding like some some guy who's trying to, like, you know, beat the drums of war kind of a thing. I'm not saying we have to go to war with Russia, but we need to fucking clamp down on their expansion. I wouldn't say that if it was, you know, Canada's expanding its, you know, influence around the world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that if it was, you know, Germany. I wouldn't say that if it was, you know, Great Britain. I wouldn't say that if it was Australia. I wouldn't say that if it was, you know, I don't know, Thailand. I wouldn't say that if it was, you know, some some African country, whatever, South American, whatever. But particularly with Russia, it is purely all about destabilizing the, the Western world as a whole. Uh... A lot of these things were put in place, uh, you know, for good or for bad, but to kind of just create a sense of balance and order around the world 
you know, exceptions aside, it's it's been relatively successful, right? Uh, democracy certainly has continued to spread throughout time. Economies are getting better. Even though there's a lot of bullshit going on, a lot more people are not in poverty that were in poverty, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, there's, there's stats on that. You know, the, the world overall is getting better in terms of economies, you know, in terms of overall poverty. Russia definitely wants to destabilize all that. They don't care if they create little proxy wars. They don't care as long as it's not within their own country. That's all they want to do is destabilize. I think it is definitely in the United States' best interest to, uh, you know, maintain a certain decent level of, not, I don't want to say control, but at least awareness of what's going on in our own hemisphere. I'm not really trying to talk to you about like the Monroe Doctrine or whatever, but if, if, if Russia's already propping up, you know, Venezuela's dictatorship, that shouldn't go unchecked. I'm not saying we need to go into war in Venezuela, but we just need to be aware of what Russia's plan is. If something is going to happen in our own backyard kind of a thing, and I hate saying our own backyard, but if something's going to go on in our own side of the world, I mean, just think of the consequences it's going to have, not only for the nations around Venezuela, but the ripple effect that'll have, you know, for the United States, Canada, etc. Uh, maintaining peace overall and getting rid of outside influencers, I think, is, is, is a good thing. Now, on the flip side, the U.S. deploys forces to Mideast to deter Iran. I have no idea what's going on. I know this administration has it out for Iran for whatever reason, uh, especially uh, Bolton, who is um, Secretary of Defense or something like that. Uh, he, he's always hated Iran. You know, he's, he's hated even the plan Obama made with Iran to denuclearize Iran, which was a, you know, a set path for that we we had it was our foot in the door to to get that country to kind of you know stay within the the, the framework of a future with you know not having much more nukes added into the rosters of different countries and trump came in ripped that up uh he's obviously pushing for some sort of war with iran and that is not good um of course iran's Government is awful. I'm not arguing against that. Uh, their own people try to even kind of take their government back. I feel like they're constantly getting closer to that. I am much more pro uh, diplomatic means to an end with Iran versus sending in troops. Uh, but apparently, uh, the U.S. intelligence caught sight of some potential plans that Iran or some some people in Iran were. Uh, threatening either our troops or our allies' troops. And so, uh, and I quote from Wall Street Journal, the U.S. is deploying a carrier strike group and a number of bombers to the Middle East to serve as a deterrent to Iran based on new intelligence that suggests allied interests and in American forces could be imperiled. And this is kind of tough because I always, you know, talk a game of, you know, Trump never really listens to his own intelligence community. Uh, they have told him many times that, you know, Russia is not your friend. Russia's propping North Korea up with, you know, uranium. Uh, Russia's getting involved with Venezuela. 
Trump just believes Putin directly that he's not getting involved and just takes his word for it. So he kind of goes against his own uh, intelligence community. Uh, but this is coming from the intelligence community. You know, it says, hey, we got word of something potentially going on and we need to do something. And so this is their way of deterring it. But then I also fear that there's some, you know, ulterior motives going on here where this is kind of like Bolton's way to influence Trump to maybe be more aggressive with Iran. And let's be clear that we already know what happens when you kind of destabilize the Middle East as a whole. We, we got it with Iraq, right? We, we went in, fucked Iraq over. We thought we did good. But what did we get out of it? We, we got ISIS for another fucking decade that we had to deal with them. Then we spent years getting them out of Iraq and we finally got them out of Iraq, but then they're still centralized in, you know, Syria and all these other kind of uh, war-torn countries. So to me, it just does not seem to benefit, you know, the, the world of just going in, you know, with weaponry and then screwing over Iran and then just, you know, it's going to be another generation of, of war going to be another generation of of people starting other terrorist groups isis will become something else and then we're, we're repeating the same cycle so you know hopefully that doesn't happen anyways moving on last but not least north korea keeps shooting missiles man you know i thought trump fixed everything remember remember that he he meant with he meant with uh kim jong-un is that his name Whatever. Who doesn't care? Uh, but yeah, he keeps firing these missiles, man. And like I said earlier, he's propped up by Russia. They, they're they getting their weaponry from Russia. They're getting their uranium from Russia. Uh, Trump did not solve anything. You know, he, he claims he should get the Nobel Peace Prize for, for that, but he didn't do shit. So, you know, just to be aware, North Korea is still out there trying to, you know, screw with shit. I also read, though, that they're, they're back in a really deep uh, food crisis. Uh, there's a shortage of food there. There always appears to be a shortage of food, but their, their rations of what they generally hand out to the people have, like, gone down to something crazy, like like 300 grams per person. I don't even know what 300 grams is, but I just know it's not a lot to live off of a day or a week or whatever they do. So their people are literally starving to death. Um, so, yeah, keep that in mind. Uh, to me, that that says North Korea is, is prime for some sort of uh, revolution. If I was the United States, and if North Korea wasn't really coming to the table and actually trying to make an effort to, to denuclearize or at least de-weaponize, oh, I would be totally down for some sort of you know, secret diplomatic resurgence and getting the people involved with it. Mainly the people. I'm not saying we should be the ones doing it, but, you know, trying to inspire a revolution in that country. I don't think that'd be really hard. Starvation really does get people motivated, I'm sure. So just my thoughts on that. So these last three topics, maybe even four, um, kind of all revolve around Trump. Well, the next three, anyways. I just kind of want to keep this below 30 minutes only because there's so much I could talk about. So uh, back some months ago, there was some sort of uh, trade meeting with China that's coming up, you know, to hopefully maybe rehash some things. Uh, I'm sure you remember we kept increasing tariffs for products and both of our economies are doing well. Um, 
but a lot of farmers are suffering because of these tariffs, uh, especially with uh, they're not being able to sell their soybeans to China. So a lot of farmers are losing money there. And that's why we had to do a socialist program to basically pay farmers for their lost money. Uh, Republicans certainly agree to that. How interesting. They can't have pissed off farmers. So um, anyway, so this meeting was supposed to happen, I think, like either this month or next month. Uh, however, uh, uh, Washington Post reports in a pair of tweets, President Trump said he will hike tariffs on 200 billion worth of imports to 25% from 10%. Trump had twice before postponed the scheduled increase to allow negotiators to seek a comprehensive deal. His threat increased pressure, increases pressure on a deal that Trump said has been going too slowly. Of course, China responded, they are now thinking about canceling this meeting altogether, and they will not be forced into conversations with threats. Um, I, I did read from someone that Trump does feel empowered to do this as because, you know, our economy is doing okay so far. Um, so I'm curious to see how that'll go. I'm also curious because there's a lot of speculation about, you know, with this economy doing so well, I mean, you know, all good things come to an end kind of a thing. And, you know, every economy goes through like a boom bust cycle. That's a normal kind of thing. It's really all depending on time. Uh, I'm just wondering if Trump may be overplaying his hand uh, here. Obviously, these tariffs affect all of us, right? Uh, it's kind of a ripple effect, right? So... You know, China's going to fuck with our car sales, which then hurts us, which then hurts, you know, steel that we buy from wherever. And then, of course, that, you know, there, there's a there was a an American car plant closing down in England because of this. So uh, I'm curious to see how this one's going to go. Uh, this seems to be just a, you know, who's got a bigger dick show off between Trump and China. So. I think it's stupid. I'm not saying I disagree with, you know, that these trade deals need to be looked at. I, I think they do. But also, I don't think they, you know, uh, Trump is the kind of guy that will, he will he's, he's harsh. He will, he will do these things even if people are hurt. So, you know, just keeping that in mind. So then he had a deal with that. Uh, he also had a deal with a infrastructure plan um and the, the crazy thing about this is that he actually made or was making headway with the plan with democrats for an infrastructure bill right uh this infrastructure bill i think was going to call for maybe like like two trillion you know over time and these are things that would fix roads uh expand public transportation that includes you know light rail or even uh, you know, subway systems and places and whatnot. And then uh, it, it got, it basically it got kicked down by Republicans. Uh, so let me quote here from Washington Post again, a $2 trillion infrastructure deal outlined this week by President Trump and top Democrats is already losing momentum as the president's own chief of staff is telling people inside and outside the administration that the effort is too expensive and unlikely to succeed. A $2 trillion infrastructure deal is too expensive for Republicans. That is insane. They just passed 
the fucking you know uh, tax overhaul that they did like what a couple years ago, and that cost us trillions of dollars. That's costing the government and taxpayers trillions of dollars because that is money that's not going to the government. So how do they make that up? They tax you. Anyways, um, the tentative accord to repair the nation's roads, revitalize mass transit, and expand broadband systems was reached at a private White House meeting Tuesday between Trump and Democratic leaders in Congress, who said they were presently surprised by the president's willingness to back a large-scale spending effort. I mean, he promised this during his campaign, so there's no surprise. Uh, And I quote again, but the initiative has run into immediate opposition from Republicans who balk at the hefty price tag and from conservative allies who are pushing lawmakers to block it. Of course they want to block it. That's money they could put in their pockets or into their local state's pockets or into their local corporations. Why would they spend that on roads and services that people need? You know, they got to love Republican hypocrisy. And then continuing uh, continuing on with Trump, I, I love this. I kind of wanted to end with this because uh, I wanted to talk about this part right here. Actually, I'm going to end with something more depressing. But anyways, uh, this is hilarious. Uh, I believe this is also... Oh, no, this is from Politico. Uh, So, Trump. Two years of my term were stolen. Uh, President Donald Trump on Sunday floated the idea of extending his constitutionally limited time in office, complaining online that two years of his first White House term were stolen as a result of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. And I quote uh, from Trump. And he always, I just love how he talks himself in first person. I now support reparations. Trump should have two years added to his first term as payback for the time stolen. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This isn't from Trump. This is from Jerry Falwell. Never mind. I take that back. Anyways, I continue. I now support reparations. Trump should have two years added to his first term as payback for time stolen by this corrupt failed coup. Jerry Falwell Jr., a conservative religious leader and Trump ally tweeted in a message reposted by the president. Uh, The president's retweets regarding an extended stay in the Oval Office follow a New York Times report on Sunday in which House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she was concerned that Trump would refuse to give up power in 2020 if he lost re-election by a narrow margin. The posts also feature implicit contradictions Trump has not hesitated to repeat since Mueller submitted his report to the Justice Department in March that it was, at once, a partisan documented conceived by, quote, 18 Trump-hating angry Democrats, as well as a, quote, total exoneration for the White House. It's funny, one of my favorite shows, Real Time with Bill Maher, he said this from, like, day one, Trump won. He said Trump is not going to leave office if he gets voted out. He is going to fight it. He's going to do something shady. And I always kind of laughed at it. I was like, whatever. He has no control over that. But now that this thought is now in the kind of subconscious, even conscious brains of his supporters, I would not be surprised if they try to do something ridiculous. Uh, Presidents have term limits. We even dealt with this in, I would say, recent i mean not like recent as in 10 years ago but overall like in recent american history you know in the 1930s or whenever when they modified the uh constitution to uh in regards to fdr you know potentially almost serving like three terms they're like nah, you can't do that um so uh, of course constitutionally he could not do that there's no legality behind it but 
then again, he now has a, an attorney general that really doesn't give a fuck, that's going to fight every little thing. He's not going to show up for court. It'll be a battle sent back to the courts. Uh, and thus again, we have another constitu constitutional crisis that this president wants to put on his own country. Yeah, what a, such a good American. Okay. Okay, I'm just a little over 30 minutes, so not too bad. I wanted to end uh, this podcast with uh, something a little depressing. Uh, this is coming from the uh, UN. So according to the UN, uh, from the Washington Post, up to 1 million plant and animal species are on the verge of extinction with devastating implications for human survival according to a United Nations report released Monday. The report's findings underscore the conclusions of numerous scientific studies that say human activity is wreaking havoc on the wild kingdom, threatening the existence of everything from giant whales to small flowers and insects that are almost impossible to see with the naked eye. I mean, we all know this. I mean, if you've seen any of those planet Earth documentaries or whatever i mean they just make you so depressed right i mean we are just we're just devastating our climate we're devastating our lands we're there's trash just everywhere in the ocean you know they find dead whales and open them up and they have nothing but trash in their stomachs uh you know bees are dying you know the things that pollinate food uh it's you know it, it's it's hard for people to do anything about it when they don't have the power of a government behind them, and when your government is basically controlled, especially currently, by these uh, you know extreme you know climate hurting corporate you know pro corporate. It's, it's hard to really fight against these things. It's hard for people to really do things. I mean, even though you can recycle all the shit you want, you can make all the, the good decisions in your life, you can go vegan, you can save you know the environment as much as you can and you know, reduce your carbon footprint, but unless you've got the backing of governments, you know, you're, you're, no matter what we do, you know, we're kind of fucked, right? And it's kind of sad because... Overall, I think majority of Americans agree, like, yeah, we should be better to our climate. We should be better to our environment. Whales shouldn't be dying. Bees shouldn't be dying. We need food. We want good, nutritious food, uh, you know, that's not grown in a lab. And, uh, but yet, you know, we keep voting in people that are anti all that. We keep voting in people to, you know, we, we, we put heads of Monsanto on boards and we keep you know electing people who have ties to oil and all those things uh so just a reminder you know we're fucking up our planet <laughs> and I, I hope we can survive you know i i do you know i'm sure every generation says that but i literally do fear for you know our future grandkids world and the world they're gonna live in they may never know what a decent strawberry tastes like or something like that you know, all the food's going to be lab-grown anyways in the future. So, I don't know. Maybe this is just a way to, to get us there. Cool. So, that's where I wanted to end it. Uh, I hope this wasn't too rushed. This was kind of like a quick catch-up of what's going on the past week. And I definitely hope to be back, you know, within a couple days to keep this going. Uh, please, you know, send me your words of encouragement. They really work. You know, I got a lot of people telling me recently, like, oh, I love it. Thank you. Do it. And then that really inspires me. So, thanks for listening. 
Uh, again, Instagram, Twitter, Mandalorian missed the music. And uh, I hope to have you guys listening again. Have a great Monday or whatever day you listen to this. And let me know if there's any things you want me to discuss or go over. Um, I hope to actually bring in some some fun guests soon. Um, I won't go over that right now because I don't want to contradict myself. But um, yeah, stay tuned for that. But thanks for listening. Thank you. You rock. And uh, I'll chat with you soon. Bye.